Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Today, I get a uh, another double win. So Craig Goldenfarb is an attorney and also an expert on it. So for those of you that don't know Craig, he runs a plaintiff's personal injury firm in Palm Beach, Florida. As so for 25 years, his firm has grown from just him and one employee to now 11 attorneys and more than 65 staff. And the important part of that is the lack of turnover that he sees at that size, which is what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, he stopped handling cases, became the CEO of his law firm about 10 years ago, and has focused on creating systems and structure in his office to support scaling and growing. He uh, also is a coach for Atticus, a lawyer coaching program where he works with people in there on a very small basis. I'm now, now I'm rambling. Uh, a few people along those lines to help them grow their firm as well. He is a wealth of knowledge and a really good hang. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, Jordan. It's great to be here. So today we're going to talk about um, creating a winning firm culture with no employee turnover. And again, every firm that has, uh, I don't know, 75 people or so that sees no turnover is clearly doing a bunch of things right. And so this will be a great opportunity to pick Craig's brain and hear about some of those benefits. But before we dive into that, I wanna share our last two episodes. Um, last week, last Thursday, we had Tom St. Louis on cracking the referral code. Great opportunity for anybody looking to grow their firm with more referrals. We really got into the mindset of referrals, not only your mindset, but the mindset you instill in those referral partners to observe the right referrals and send them to you. And then because Monday was Memorial Day, we did not do a show for Memorial Day. Instead, on Tuesday, we did a, another best of. So that would be highlighting, I want to say since what, March? Breezy? Okay, so that would be highlights since March. So some of the best tips that we pulled from some of the best guests. But enough about that. I've got Craig here. So creating a winning firm culture with no employee turnover. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. So Jordan, thanks for having me. So one of the biggest prides I take in uh, running my law firm is, is running a law firm where people like to come to work. And it, it, it's taken, you know, 20 years for me to create a culture here through my administrative staff and through leadership of various types to make it a place where we all want to come to work. So I started talking about firm culture and started studying firm culture and reading books on firm, firm culture, not just for law firms, but, you know, for companies in general. And I think lawyers really do need to realize that um, the people that are creating the work are the people who are making you money. So if you want to do well and you want to make people happy, then you really need to work on your firm culture and make it a place where people want to come. And we have people literally lining up to start working here. When someone leaves, we get 20 resumes the next day. It's unbelievable uh, how much people want to work here. So, you know, I, there are a lot of keys to having a good uh, corporate culture, a good uh, firm culture. So, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So down here in South Florida, I'm in West Palm Beach, but down here in South Florida, there's a, a company, a newspaper company, a media company that uh, measures all sorts of businesses, not just lawyers. And in 2017, 18 and 19, among uh, uh, medium sized businesses, we actually won first place in all of South Florida in 2018. And in the last three years before 2019, we were in the top three. So that's pretty good. And that's not just law firms, that's all types of corporations. So, you know, and that's as measured by um, the employees 
who send in anonymous surveys and they don't even have to identify themselves. So that's based on work happiness. Uh, so Breezy, if you can, make sure you get the link to the article. If we can drop that in the chat, it'll be a lot easier than people uh, going through on the slide. So let me know if you've captured that, Fabrizio, before I move on to the next slide, I guess. And again, I just, I love that. So that is across, so all law firms, one of the most stressful businesses, I think, so many things being emergencies, people often come to you in their biggest time of need. And here you all are just crushing like the cookie restaurant down the street right. or being a better workplace environment. So, yeah, it's rare for a law firm. There weren't a lot of law firms in that group. It was more like, you know, the cookie restaurant where you have to be happy at the cookie restaurant or the ice cream store. I mean, that's a happy place, but law firms, uh, uh, hilarious. So when we won it, I took everybody out to the top of, this is a bar where we took everybody and had drinks and, uh, and celebrated that we won. That's why the, uh, we're number one, the stickers or uh, things that you see at uh, football games. So uh, I'm going to move on if that's okay. The next slide. All right. Yep. So the workplace I built, you know, I've had a plaintiff's personal injury firm for 20 years. Uh, I do car accidents, premises liability, nursing home neglect, negligent security, and then uh, my niche, which is liability for um, having a heart attack where there should have been a, a defibrillator, like at a hotel or a gym. So that's one of the niches I do wrongful death cases involving that. So that's my, my practice. Uh, I started my firm, you know, almost 20 years ago. It's literally me and one employee uh, two days before my birthday. And now we've grown about 20% 20, 20 per year. We have 10 lawyers. We're just about to hire our 11th. And we are about almost at 70 staff now. Uh, so we, we, grow, we, we grow a ton. I also founded a charity uh, that matches up with my niche. And my niche is the heart attacks in public places. But I realized that uh, it would be good for the community if I started giving away these AEDs to youth sports programs to save lives of people who have heart attacks while playing sports. And actually 10,000 kids a year die in the United States of uh, cardiac arrest on, on sporting fields or Wow, I had no idea it was a that crazy, high. crazy statistic. So we've given away 20 or so uh, through our charity and we have a golf tournament, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so I formed a charity that matched up with one of my niches, which was I was pretty proud of and it's, it's still going. So uh, I also coach other attorneys on how to create and build profitable law firms, especially PI firms. And I make time for my wife and my two teenage daughters while doing all this stuff. So how do I do that? Well, you know, the first thing I read or the first thing I studied was, you know, as a business owner, you're like, I don't care if anybody's happy. I just want to make money. I just want everybody to work. Well, there was a study in the Harvard Business Review that actually measured uh, this stuff and measured why happiness is important. And you can see that, you know, the Harvard Business Review studied and found that there's greater sales, greater productivity. Um, people are less tired. I mean, if you're falling asleep at work, you're not getting anything done. And your creativity just goes through the roof if you're happy. So this is backed by data. And a lot of lawyers or business owners really don't believe this or don't understand it. But if you want to put it into terms of making more money and being profitable, you can see here that it's been studied. So there's, there's actually data to support happiness. And so the way, can, I, can I jump yeah. in before you? So Please. on the numbers that you have there from Harvard Business Review, um, right. Does that also incorporate the, the issues with turnover? Because I mean, I've read things where like businesses on average are spending like millions of dollars a year on turnover because they have to train the new person, get them up to speed, spend money hiring. 
And so obviously with a happy place at work, I think you'd cut back on that as well. Sure. I mean, you know, happiness at work, when people are happy and they come to work, they're not leaving. So, you know, I have so little turnover um, at my firm and that's because it's a good place to come to work. You know, you spend 40, 50, 60 hours in one place. That's way more than you spend with your family. So it better be a place when you wake up in the morning that you're not like, oh crap, I got to go to work. So this doesn't even take into account um, the, the financial cost of turnover, but if they're happy, they don't leave. Right. So, so it definitely, it plays into the lack of turnover. And that's why I want to make my employees happy and fulfilled, not just happy, but also fulfilled. So the way I kind of divide it up is, you know, I put it into five categories. And again, these are pictures of just stuff we do. Uh, you know, we have so many pictures. We're active on social media. We're active in my uh, print newsletter, showing the stuff we do in the community, showing the fun stuff we do, whether it's a food drive, whether it's delivering meals, whether it's sponsoring, sponsoring on the left, the uh, South Florida Fair, where everybody brings their kids. Uh, it's just so much stuff that we really want people to be friends at work and to be friends outside of work. So the first pillar, or the first thing that I say is, um, you really need to think about it and define your firm's culture. So there's a lot of books written on mission statements and core values. And we spent six months creating mission statement and core values uh, using some books. I can't remember the name of the book. Um, may have been uh, Traction uh, that gives you a, uh, a method by which to come up with mission statement and core values. I think it was Traction. And so we spent a long time with a lot of input from the whole firm to come up with a mission statement for my personal injury firm. And on the left there is, um, is my mission statement. And then on the right is our core values. Uh, and we actually hire and fire based in part on our core values. So we had a person that did something um, with a lack of integrity um, about a year ago. And they did something that was a little dishonest. Uh, in, in the workplace. And when we let that person go, we showed them the core values and we said, we brought this up at the interview when we hired you and you have violated core value number one, which is integrity. Uh, or if someone yells at somebody, they've violated respect. So we, we, this is the foundation of hiring and firing is our core values. Uh, and uh, so it really comes into play in defining the work culture because we, we talk about it at hiring and firing and when we discipline, if we have to discipline. So what do we do with this? Well, we actually put it in a document that goes to the clients. So this is in our sign-up kit that goes to the clients because we want them to know our mission statement and our core values. So not only do we give this to clients, but we give this to our employees and it's also hung up in our interview room. So when they're interviewing for a job, they see it on the wall. So the first thing is defining your firm's culture and make sure everybody knows about it. Make sure your clients know about it. It's on our website. It's in our newsletter. Uh, our firm's culture is all over the place. I was just at Wells Fargo Bank just now, an hour ago, and they're like their mission statement is on the wall behind the tellers. And that's an example of, you know, another company. Charles Schwab is the same thing. They all have a mission statement. Whether they stick to it or not, I don't know. <laughs> Wells Fargo had some problems lately uh, meeting their mission statement and their core values. But there's so many companies that have a good mission statement and core values uh, that, that uh, really, really follow that. And so that's what we wanted to do. Makes perfect sense. So the, the next pillar is that in order to grow and scale, you have to become a leader yourself and you have to create leaders. If you look at the graphic on the right, um, that's a guy who's just the boss and he's telling the top, he's telling everybody what to do. 
if you're doing that, you're going to be limited in your growth because everything's dependent on you telling everybody what to do. But if you, this, the graphic on the bottom is creating leaders. So if you're the boss and you create leaders, then the leaders can tell people what to do and you can grow and grow. At my firm, I have seven departments because we have so many people and each department has a department head. So the department heads report to me. So I have seven direct reports, but they each have, you know, five, 10 employees beneath them that don't report to me. It's like the military. There's a chain of command. So in order to scale, you've got to learn how to create leaders. And there's lots of books on creating leaders. There's lots of books on how you become a leader. I read a lot of those books to make sure that I can lead the leaders. And it takes a lot to create leaders. So one of the terms I use that I stole from somebody is that as a leader, as a CEO, I'm really the chief encouragement officer. I'm not just the chief executive officer. My job is to encourage people. It's to support people. It's to train leaders. It's to trust uh, leaders and make sure they're they can lead their teams. So that's a term I like to use as chief encouragement officer. And I remind myself of that when I'm dealing with any issues at the, at the workplace. I think your leadership skills, once you become a boss, are more important than your legal skills because the clients hire you based on your image, your brand, your staff, your team. I don't deal with a lot of clients anymore. So what's most important is that I train the people who do deal with clients or do deal with departments. So I'd say the larger you get, the more your leadership skills are important. How do you create leaders? Well, there's five parts to creating a leader. Um, the first is you've got to give them authority. You know, my office administrator, for instance, who came from Disney World, she had HR training at Disney World. That's how great she is. Can't be trained better than at Disney. So, you know, I give her the authority to sign contracts for me for tens of thousands of dollars whether it's for legal research company, whether it's for a lease of a copier, whether it's for something, you know, super significant. She doesn't have to get my authority for a lot of things because I give her the authority because she's been with me so long to sign things and do things. That's just one example of the authority I give to my team leaders. And the more authority they, you give them, the more responsibility they have. And they grow into that role and they become confident if you don't micromanage them. And as a type A attorney, we all want to micromanage everything because we believe we can do it best. But the problem is if, you, if only you can do it best, then you end up doing everything. And if you're doing everything, you're going to stay small. I can't do everything. I have 10, soon to be 11 attorneys. We have you know 1,500 cases in our office. I can't do everything. So you've got to give authority and responsibility and autonomy. You've got to let people run their own jobs without being told what to do. The other is you give them privileges and, you know, privilege, for instance, is, you know, if they have a doctor's appointment at three o'clock, we let them go to their doctor's appointment, especially the leaders. If they need to take a week off because of mental health, then okay. Uh, we give them a lot of privileges, a lot of flexibility, and a lot of bosses don't do that because they can't control their people. If you need to control your people, you have the wrong people. So I give a lot of autonomy, privilege, and trust, and trust is the hardest one. Trust is absolutely the hardest one because as attorneys, we're naturally cynical. We naturally doubt people and we don't, we don't easily trust folks. But when you get large, you've got to trust. You've got to trust your leaders. And that took me, that was a 10 year process to really be able to trust my folks, to really know what they're doing, give them a project and say, come back with a completed project.
So along the lines of the image that you have from a, from the standpoint of you, and then obviously having the seven department heads, are you viewing them as that person in the front and you're right behind them with everybody behind you? Or are you the person in the front, they're right behind you as a second leader and then everybody's behind them? Um, do you mean in an organizational chart sort of way or in a public image sort of way? I guess both. I think those are both helpful. Well, in a public image way, I'm the face of the firm. Uh, so I'm the person who people want to hire, but they're never going to meet me typically unless they go through a certain process. So the clients are not usually going to meet me because I don't handle any cases anymore. So in the, to the public, I'm really the face of the firm. Um, as far as an organizational chart, I'm the creative. I come up with the business ideas, the business vision, and then I hand it off to my team leaders who then execute the, the idea. So once, once you come up with a vision and an idea, you, you come up with the framework and then let your people execute. So I'm kind of behind them when it comes to that. I give them a seed, a seed to grow, and I let them grow it because I pick the right leaders and they'll create something that's usually better than the seed that I envisioned or the flower that I envisioned because they've got a skill set that I don't have. So that's, that's how I believe creating leaders is better than you being a leader. Because I can't do it better necessarily than my than my team leaders. I think they're better than I am at certain skills. I mean, so that's, that's why that's their role versus that's your their role. role. I hired a chief marketing officer to be a chief marketing officer. He knows way more about marketing than I do. So, of course, I'm going to trust him. I have to trust him, and I pay him a lot of money. <laughs> so he better be competent. And that's the same as every department head. Makes perfect sense. So a great book, um, I, I like books, I like business books. So the best book on trust and how to organize a team is this book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, who's a great business author. Um, if you're gonna read one book after today, I would say maybe read this if you have a team. And even if your team is three people, uh, we did a, our firm did a, a retreat that was based on the foundations and the five dysfunctions and took us through exercises to get to know each other. And it was really great because sometimes you don't know your, your team members as well as you think you do. And there's a lot of uh, exercises in this book and how to build trust, how to have productive conflict, which is very important within a business that creates amazing results. So, you know, these are things that lawyers don't talk about much, which is how you get along with people and how you create leaders. So that is pillar number two. Many lawyers will tell you that's the opposite of being an attorney. Right, right, exactly. Pillar number three, again, it may be contra, contra to what some lawyers think is that the lawyers want to keep everything and keep all their money and not give employees what they want. I think it's the opposite. If you look at the graphic here, you know, what do people want? They want money. They want promotion, responsibility, achievement, empowerment, education, skills, and most of all, top left, appreciation. And, you know, as chief encouragement officer, I make sure to walk around, I manage by laps, you know, I lap around the office and I make sure to tell someone at least three people a day, good job on something, no matter what it is. And that also works at home with your wife and kids uh, to tell them good job on something, but people want to be appreciated. And no matter whether it's the receptionist, a secretary, your child, your wife, or even yourself, people want to be appreciated. So as chief encouragement officer, that's one of my primary jobs is to send out good job emails, to pat people on the back, to tell them what a great job they did. And that doesn't come easy for lawyers. It doesn't come easy for people. So you really got to think about it. So, you know, one is input and empowerment. Uh, you want people to 
to have a stake in what they do. So we let them come up with their own job descriptions and then I'll edit it because when I need job descriptions for every job, I don't know what they do all day. So you let them create their own job descriptions and then you edit it with what you thought you would have done. But you, trust me, they can create way better job descriptions than you can because they know what they do all day. So that's the first thing is let them have empowerment and input into what they do. Create a stable work environment. I mean, one of the first things we ask lawyers, and I, I still interview lawyers, those are the only staff that I interview to, to work here. I say, do you raise your voice? Do you, are you, do you throw stuff? Do you throw staplers? And most of the lawyers will say, oh, no, I don't. But you can tell after interviewing a person after a certain amount of time, whether they're an angry person, whether they are an unstable person, whether they're the type that's gonna demean another person, um, and that creates a lack of stability. And everybody wants a stable, comfortable work environment. We have one law firm that we have in town. We have 15 of their ex-employees. 15. That's like a, a, a fifth of our workforce is from one law firm that does not have a stable work environment. And so there's a natural progression from that law firm to us. So, you know, just creating stability. People are, are stressed out enough. And then having structure, organization, and clarity. How many times have you gone to a job where they just give you stuff to do and they don't tell you how to do it? It's very common. So we have training. We have trainers. We actually have two employees that are trainers, one for each of our, one for pre-suit, one for lit, that are just trainers. They train on the software. They train on our procedures. So your first two weeks are spent learning, learning the, the ways of my law firm. So that is very comfortable to walk in and get trained and a lot of businesses to not train at all. Recognition, you know, there's, a, there's the old saying, you praise publicly and you discipline privately. You wouldn't believe how many companies, how many law firms uh, disregard this. They praise uh, privately, which is great one-on-one, -on -one, but people love to be praised publicly. Most people love to be praised in public or they discipline and they, they throw someone under the bus in front of a ton of people. You don't do that. You discipline privately. So that's, you know, just a couple of rules of, of, of disciplining. And then opportunities for growth. We like to promote from within. Uh, we, we always post job openings internally first to see if there are any internal candidates. And you never know when someone in reception might want to be an intake or someone in intake want to be in pre-suit. You have no idea what they want to be in. So, you know, internally they can grow. And then externally, we provide lots of opportunities for them to do um, life improvement courses. Uh, we actually, I actually pay half for my staff to do a life improvement course that I love called Landmark. And I actually sponsor them and pay half of them going to Landmark, which is a few hundred bucks. But if they go and they come back uh, and they've achieved something from that course, then they say, wow, my boss really took a financial stake in me helping my life. So we really want to help our employees achieve their personal growth. So the fourth one is to compensate them. Now, if you look at my structure of compensation of a typical person on the right side, you'll see, you'll see that uh, about 70% of their compensation is from their salary. But then there's quite a bit that's from their benefits and bonuses and incentives. And we have all those plans in, our, in place so that it's not just pay because we want people to have incentives based on production, and then we want them to have benefits like a 401k, a profit sharing plan, 
uh, et cetera. So uh, since I don't have any detail here, you know the benefits are a profit sharing plan, a 401k with a match, life insurance, dental insurance, uh, 80, we pay 80% of health insurance. Uh, we pay for half of their, their business courses or their, their life improvement courses. We have probably a menu of about 20 or 30 things that we pay for that are included in benefits. And it's a rich benefits package. And now that COVID's coming out, you know, it's really, it's an employee's world right now because there's a lack of employees. So you really have to provide a rich benefits package to attract the best talent. And then we have a very detailed incentives program uh, as well to incentivize production. And that's a whole nother lecture on how we do our incentive programs. But people can earn quite a bit of money up to like 5% of what they earn in a year probably um, or more based on the production and the incentives that we have in place. So that's pillar number four is compensation. And we pay about 10% over market rate. And how do we know market rate? Well, there's Robert Half, there's a bunch of different studies. There's a local study in Palm Beach County of the legal field. There's a bunch of different studies you can find online as to what people earn. We try to pay about 10% over market rate to attract the best talent. And then last is kind of the most fun one, which is to keep your employees engaged and fulfilled. So, you know, we connect with the community. Uh, in sponsorships, we sponsor tons of different charities and organizations. I speak um, a ton. You know, we have our lawyers speak at condo communities of old people, you know, what, what insurance you should buy for your car to protect yourself. My lawyers speak, I speak a ton. We're active in the community. I'm on charity boards. I have my own charity. We have all kinds of functions. This was a soccer World Cup watch party we had a few years ago at a local indoor soccer place. Just so many things were involved in, in, the, in the community uh, that that really helps your employees feel engaged and fulfilled. And one little tidbit is when we have a charity that we might want to participate in, we ask the employees what charity is important to them. So we'll have a uh, charity of the month. And we have, we have employees who have special needs children, who have children with cancer, relatives with cancer. You don't know that until you ask your employees, what charity is special to you? And we didn't even know it, but we had an employee with cystic fibrosis. I didn't even know what cystic fibrosis was, but she has it. So then we started getting involved with a cystic fibrosis foundation, which made her feel very, very special. So that's keeping your employees engaged and fulfilled. In addition, we provide opportunities for our staff to participate in volunteer stuff. How many times have you heard your staff say, I'd like to volunteer for this, but I don't have time. I work all day and I have kids. So what do we do? Well, we give them time off when we set up charitable things like around Christmas or Thanksgiving, we deliver turkeys, we deliver meals. And yes, it's during the business day. But what better time is there to do this stuff than during the business day? And then they can say that they bring their kids along with them if their kids are off and the whole family is then delivering turkeys or delivering meals. And it's an opportunity to have a day off from work, do something in the community and then feel bonded with their boss and their law firm. So volunteer opportunities for our staff is just wonderful. And it, it makes us look good. It helps us market. It makes our employees happy and fulfilled. I mean, it's all benefits. And, and the law firm looks great in the community. So is there, is there a specific, like, is it a time of year that you're targeting? I know you mentioned Christmas, or is it more like everybody gets, you know, a day of, can take a day a quarter or like, how does that work? 
we have a community relations director <laughs> at our firm, and it's the young lady that's in the picture second from the left. She's, uh, you know, cute, <laughs> and she's in the community, and she's bubbly, and she's actually an actress. She's a professional actress as well as working for my my law firm. So she's got a great presence. Now, what she does is she, her job is to go within the firm and find people who want to volunteer and also to then look for opportunities throughout the year to become involved with charities and organizations. So she'll pitch them to me or she'll pitch them to her boss, who is the marketing director, who will then pitch it to me. So the answer is all year, Jordan. We do this continuously um, all year. You know, Christmas and Thanksgiving is easy because there's so many opportunities. But to find out these is Ashley's job. And she that's her entire job is to find out opportunities for us to do good in the community. That's a great question. So we also support each other's passions. I mean, this is a particularly fun one. The guy in the middle, yes, that's a guy, is our director of um, client services. And he, he actually puts together a drag show. He's the MC of the drag show. So when's the last time anybody was, I had never been to a drag show. And I was like, are you kidding me? When we so hired him. not from Orlando. That's a, every Sunday we've got those. It's, it's like every week, right? <laughs> so this guy named Gerald uh, is the MC and uh, he loves dressing up in drag and he brings together some of the greatest drag performers in Florida. And every year at a local college, he hosts a drag show that gets several, several hundred people. Well, we support him in that. We get 30 or 40 employees who go to his drag show every year at the local college. And he gives us a shout out on stage. And it's pretty cool for an employee to have a passion, whatever it is, and to have 30 or 40 of his coworkers show up to support him. That's pretty cool, no matter what your passion is. And that's just one example of where we support each other's passions. And it's a particularly funny one because it's a drag show. But we do support each other's passions. I have three actors or actresses. We go to all their performances. Um, you know, it's really, it's really fun to support each other's passions. And we also share in the triumphs and the tragedies. You know, this employee was pregnant, so we had a baby shower um, at the office. And we celebrate when people are pregnant. We celebrate when people get engaged. You know, you really got to celebrate life's special occasions. And if you're not doing that with your people, you're missing out on an opportunity to really grow a relationship. No matter whether you have two people or whether you have 75 people, you got to share in their passions and their triumphs and tragedies. And don't forget to have fun. That's uh, May the 4th be with you. I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek. So that's me with the lightsaber up top. So, you know, anytime we get a holiday, that's a great Death Star. I love it. So, you know, we celebrate everything. I think last week was National Chocolate, or two weeks ago was National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day that was brought to our attention. So um, our office administrator uh, wheeled around uh, homemade cookies to all our staff for an hour. And everybody got some delicious chocolate chip cookies because it was cookie day. I mean, how, not many workplaces, I think, are doing that. So it, it makes, it breaks up the day. It's nice to do. And uh, Ashley, my community services director, is in charge of coming up with silly stuff like National Cookie Day. So again, don't forget to have fun. That is the key. And then don't forget to brag about it. So as I said, we're active in social media. We let the world know how wonderful our workplace is. I lecture, today's lecture, I'm letting the world know how wonderful our workplace is. Use your social media, use your firm newsletters, whether they're print or whether they're e-newsletters to publicize what you do. Sometimes I meet people in the community 
and they know me from TV or they know me from somewhere and they say, oh, you're that lawyer who's really charitable. They don't even know what type of law I do. They're like, oh, you're that lawyer who contributes to all those organizations. Like that's how they know me through this stuff. And that's a real feel good because they'll hire you based on the fact that you do good in the community. It's not just because you're a good personal injury lawyer or a good real estate lawyer. It's because you do good things in the community. So this is really part of our branding is that we do good in the community. And that brings you profits. I, I don't do it just to bring profits. I do it because it really is true to me. It's, it's who I am. But boy, has it made my company successful in the meantime. Well, and I think that's the key. It has to be genuine and authentic to you to see the success. If you are faking it, you know, everybody has that little uh, gut reaction of you're just putting on a show. Yeah, it's, if it's not genuine, don't do it. I mean, if I, I, I like to consider myself a nice person and I put all these systems in place because I really, I think I, I'm honored that 75 people depend on me for their paychecks to support their families and, and, uh, and have a job and spend 40 hours a week uh, doing things that benefit me. So I really feel that genuinely. And in, in return for that, I want to make it a good place to work. Makes perfect sense. So uh, let's see. So there's a couple of resources that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention. Uh, the first is uh, the company that I like, that I work with and for, and I'm also a student of, it's called Atticus. And Atticus is a lawyer coaching organization yeah, based in Orlando or the Orlando area in Florida. And I've been a student and a coach with Atticus for 20 years. And their initial program is called the Practice Growth Program. And if you're interested in just taking a look at their website, uh, it is one of the definite the pillars of my success is everything I've learned about running a business. And it's just for lawyers uh, through Atticus. So that is the first resource. And the second resource is the seminar that I do. Uh, and so I talk about all aspects of my law firm at a seminar series that I created called Seven Figure Attorney. And the next episode of Seven Figure Attorney, we wanted to wait a long time after COVID was done before going to New York. So if you want to go, there's a website and uh, where you can just sign up to be on our mailing list, sevenfigureattorney.com. And that's where... Uh, the three leaders of my firm, including me, talk about all aspects of my firm, not just firm culture, but metrics, incentives, uh, all, all aspects of my law firm and how I run it. I really give you a look under the hood for a full day of how I do everything. And I love, I, I love giving it all away because then it all comes back uh, in a karmic sort of way. So I don't, That's on a Thursday. Yeah, that's, that's on a Thursday. That's correct. There's another seminar the next day that I back to back it with uh, by a guy named John Fisher, uh, his mastermind. Uh, he's based out of New York. So he and I do two seminars back to back at the same hotel. So the mastermind experience is the following day, Friday. And if you Google mastermind experience, you'll find that seminar. But he and I are friends. So we, if someone's going to travel to New York, we want to give them two seminars uh, back to back at the same hotel. So it's really great. Uh, and, uh, I'm planning on bringing my wife. Maybe Broadway will be open again. So uh, it's, it's a great trip. You learn a couple, You learn a lot in two days. So that's my seminar series. Wonderful. So what questions do you have, Jordan? Um, so let's, Breezy, is it easier for you if we keep the presentation up or if Craig stops sharing? Okay, so we'll just keep it up. Um, all right, so... 
I guess the biggest thing for me, at least the one that stands out the most, is when did you start a lot of this? I mean, was this something that was on, you know, involved in your firm on day one, or were there certain like metrics that you hit that you were able to roll out a lot of these processes? How does somebody, you know, begin well, to get into I, that? I guess it started from just who I am. You know, when I had one one employee, I wanted to take her out to lunch to get to know her, and uh, so I've kept that up for over 20 years, which is I take one employee out to lunch, usually on Fridays. So after their 90 day uh, probation period, they become eligible for their Craig, their Craig lunch, we call it. And then I get to know them because they've been there 90 days and I usually did not interview them. I don't even know who they are. Um, maybe I've met them a couple of times, but I want to ask them about their family, where they were raised, married, kids, dogs, hobbies. And then I go back and I, I take notes back at the office and I have a legal pad so that I know what their kids do and what their spouse's name is. And that really helps me bond with them. So it started when I had one employee. I realized I have to get to know this person on a personal level. And then as it grew, people started giving me ideas, the ideas you saw in this presentation as to how to even bond even more. So it was really, it germinated with just kind of who I am as a person and then just listening to other bright people talk about how they appreciate their employees and help their employees. And so, you know, from a, from a financial standpoint, um, I mean, I assume lunch could get expensive, but obviously like the benefits you're offering are going to be a lot more than, you know, the, the benefit of having lunch with you. Um, I don't mean that as an insult, just from a, right, right, from a, yeah. from a true money standpoint. Sure. So what, you know, at a firm that let's say, you know, let's say they've got, I don't know, 10, 10 to $20,000 to invest in their employees in some manner. What's your suggestion on where they should put it first or what's your suggestion on how they should figure out what's the best use of that, you know, discretionary fund? Well, I think part of it would be an incentive program because people like to have goals. People like to keep score. Everybody likes to keep score because how do you know if you're winning, if you're not keeping score in any business? So how do you keep score in your business? Is it by fees? Is it by demand letters out if you're a personal injury attorney? Is it by contract signed if you're a real estate attorney? By closings. So I would say devote 50% of your money, whether it's 5,000 or 50,000 or 500, to some sort of incentive program. Incentivize your people. And the other is um, things that help you connect with your employees, whether it's a lunch, drinks, um, little tiny things, little gifts, uh, little things of recognition, uh, random acts of kindness, I guess you could call them, devoted towards things like that. After I go out to lunch with an employee, I always hear something that, during the lunch that they like, whether it's their favorite restaurant or whether they shop a lot at Target, I hear something they like or a book that they wanted to order, or a movie they wanted to see. So right after lunch, the next day on their desk, usually from me, is movie tickets or that book from Amazon or a gift card to Starbucks if they're a coffee drinker or something that shows I listened, I heard what they like, and I got it for them. Now, lucky for me, someone gets it for me to give to them, uh, but I used to go out and get it myself. But think of the impact that has an employee. Not only did you take them to lunch, but you listened to what they like, and then you ordered it. That's amazing as far as the depth of caring. So that doesn't cost a lot of money. A, a, a Starbucks gift card, movie tickets, maybe a ticket to a game, you know, football, basketball, whatever. These things are often not that expensive. So little gifts, uh, just little things like that, 
uh, that's where you should put your money, no matter whether it's a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks. And I love that because I, my next question was going to be, how do you make the, the gifts or the incentives unique to everybody? And obviously here you are genuinely listening to them as opposed to being like, Hey, here's a questionnaire, you know, tell us what do these 15 things mean the most to you or, you know, something like right. that. Right. I mean, if just one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and finding out about their kids, I mean, if you're listening for an opportunity to give during lunch, you'll spot five of them because they'll tell you about their kid who's starting baseball or they'll tell you about their favorite restaurant or where they go with their spouse. It's easy if you're listening for an opportunity to give them something. If they're a reader, buy them a, you know, buy them a book card to Barnes and Noble or a bookstore, you know, something like that, or just an Amazon gift card, you know, something. So I do that after every lunch and it's, you'd be surprised at how surprised they are because they're like, wow, my boss went out himself or had someone go out and buy me something. Oh my gosh crazy so what happened the employee that goes out to get you the stuff what happens when they're the one you're getting stuff for oh i go and get it myself <laughs> for her she's my office administrator so uh you know i go out and get her nice stuff because she's my office administrator <laughs> so is there do you know what the next step to this plan is or are you implementing these you know better practices as they come up or you know how does that how does that work what a great question so I know I've grown great leaders, Jordan, when I don't have to come up with ideas. So okay. my office administrator came to me six months ago and said, look what I found. It's this program. It's an employee benefits program called Smart Dollar. And I'm like, what's Smart Dollar? And she says, it's a financial planning program that you can pay a few thousand dollars for. And they give free financial advice to all of your employees on their debt, getting out of debt, um, you know, on structuring a retirement plan on uh, most, you know, most employees are in debt. So, and it's financial coaching, it's all free and it's provided by me. So I, for my 70 employees or so, I had to pay 3000 bucks for the year. That's a lot of money, but it's a lot less if you have fewer employees. So my office administrator came and said, this is going to distinguish us in the workplace. We're going to keep our employees, have even less turnover, and we're going to be able to tell people this at interviews. This is how much we care about you because we're going to give you free financial planning advice from a company we hired and we pay for. And it's, we rolled it out. We have an 80% participation rate. 80% of people wanted free financial advice. And they're thanking me every day for it because where else do you get financial advice on how to get rid of your credit card debt for free? Well, YouTube, so, but probably yeah, YouTube, but but they're not going to do it. Different. Right. Right. It's different. This is actually one on one actual financial planner talking to your staff for free. And so my point is that if you create the right leaders, you don't have to come up with the next step. They come to you with the next step. And I'm blessed to have leaders who come and say, I've got a great idea. Let me pitch it to you. So then when I, let me try to phrase this question the right way. I'm assuming that you were not able to start hiring or creating leaders on day one. Am I right there? Absolutely. Okay. So what, what was, was it a size thing? Was it a revenue thing? Like at what's the point that you can really start, you know, I think Atticus calls it killing the hero. Right. Um, so usually a person can manage three or four people uh, at once, maybe five. I happen to have seven department heads. My, my ability to manage is pretty good. That's probably too many. You should probably have maximum five direct reports uh, is what the business gurus tend to say. 
So once, once your firm starts to be uh, departmentalized, once you start to have one person responsible or two people responsible, then they might need a supervisor or a lead. So when we have a small department, um, at one point, if there's three people, maybe four people in that department, then they need a lead. At some point, it grows big enough that they actually need a department head. So how do I know that? Well, just by experience, that once you have two or three people in the same job, one of them is more experienced than the others. So one of them might be their go-to person. It shouldn't be you. That's the point. If you have three people in intake, the intake director should not be you. It should be one of the people in intake. So once you get to two or three people doing the same job, that's when you need departments. That's when you need to create structures, procedures, and have a, a level of management that's below you. Makes perfect uh, there was, sense. There was a coach, I think it was Coach K from Duke, um, who was retiring, I found out yesterday. Yeah. Um, and he, he said he had his heart attack when he was the hub of the entire Duke basketball wheel. And that's why he had his heart attack, because everything had to go through him. And once he determined that his wheel could have multiple hubs and multiple assistant coaches and that everything didn't have to go through him, that's when he was able to decentralize all the authority within the Duke basketball program. And that's what has allowed him to coach until he's in the 70s, because everything used to go through him. That's how I feel. You need to decentralize the power in your office. If it's all with you, you're going to have a heart attack. And that's what caused a great leader like Coach K for Duke basketball to have a heart attack because everything was centralized. Makes perfect sense. All right. So um, anything else that you want to make sure we cover as we get towards the end? Obviously, we'll have your, your biggest takeaway, save for last. But um, No, I think I pretty much covered it. Uh, I think the five pillars are a good way of organizing uh, my thoughts as far as how to create a great place where people love to come to work. So I think that's it, Jordan. Fantastic. All right. So on Monday, uh, 1.30 Eastern time next Monday, we will have Eric Pelton on. Eric's going to talk to us about how you protect your brand, a beginner's guide to trademark and copyrights, which is always an interesting conversation to have with attorneys because if you're anything like me, you have no idea what any of those words actually mean in practice. So this will be a great opportunity to hear the wisdom of somebody who is in the know, in this case, Eric Pelton, Monday, 1.30 Eastern time. But before we let Craig go, I want that I want that diamond nugget of wisdom. If somebody has listened to you for the last, I don't know, 50 minutes, and they take nothing away from this except what you're about to share here, it could be something you've covered in the presentation. It could be something totally different. But what is the biggest piece of advice, that most important thing that you want as many attorneys as possible to truly know so they too can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? I'm going to switch around my, my course that I, that I just taught on employee turnover and talk about one nugget, which is when you have to have employee turnover, which is when you have to let someone go. And it's a rule I've lived by, which is if you have an employee that's upsetting you enough that you talk about it at home, it's time to fire that employee. If you're complaining to your wife or your husband about an employee, it means it's leaving the workplace and that person must go. So once it spills over beyond the walls of your office, let the person go. And that the, the, the one piece of uh, inf informative information I have as to when I speak at the Seven Figure Attorney Summit, ask everybody in the room, when's the last time you regretted firing somebody two weeks after you fired them? Never. Never. Nobody raises their hand. So why are we all so scared to fire people 
if we've never in our career regretted firing somebody. We call that positive turnover at our office, which is that when you fire somebody, you almost always replace them with someone better. Yet we're all hamstrung by not firing somebody. So as soon as you start telling your spouse about it or complaining to your friends about it, get rid of that person. So asking for a friend, and that friend is me, because my wife and I each own half the firm, uh, a lot of those conversations do take place at the house. So what's the, <laughs> what, what is the level of negative discussion that can happen when the discussion has to happen somewhere? I guess these spouse coworker must be a, an exception to the, the rule. I do not work with my wife. Uh, so it's tough when the office spills over to the house. So I guess the question is the amount of time you're you're spending and the amount of mental energy you're spending um, obsessing about this person who you should fire. Uh, it can't be just that, are you talking about it at home role with you, Jordan? Uh, but it's the amount of time. Is it really wearing on you? And once it starts wearing on you, then that's a sign that it's just time to let the person go. Makes perfect sense. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Jordan. And thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.